Thanks for downloading this History Hub podcast. This podcast is brought to you in association with Globalizing the Rising, 1916 in Context, a major conference which will take place in University College Dublin on the 5th and 6th of February 2016. For more information, go to centenaries.ucd.ie. In this episode, a paper recorded at the Universities in Revolution and State Formation Conference, which took place in UCD Newman House on the 5th and 6th of June 2015. This project was funded by an Irish Research Council New Foundations Award and by a University College Dublin Decade of Centenaries Award. Podcasting was by Real Smart Media. This episode features a recording from Panel 2, Academics in State Formation. The paper, Alfred O'Rahilly, Creative Revolutionary, was given by Reverend Dr. J. Anthony Gohan. Good afternoon. And at the outset, I wish to say how honoured I am at having been invited to take part in this conference. I'm delighted, of course, being in the midst of such a wonderful group of talented, bright and young scholars. Of course, I feel a bit like Oshin and Ignafina. Now, for our visitors, Oshin was a mythical figure who surfaced a century after the mythical group to which he belonged, Nafina. I was a lifelong friend of Connell's grandfather, Dr. Patrick Henshey, who was the director of the National Library of Ireland, and his grandmother, Monica, who was a librarian and an authority on the Irish colleges in Spain. And <laughs> when Moray rang me asking me to take part in this conference, she said, by the way, she said, when I suggested asking you, one of my colleagues said, isn't he dead? <laughs> so, Murray, please tell him I am here and I haven't risen from the dead. The topic is universities and revolution and state formation. And Alfred O'Reilly was both a creative revolutionary and very much involved in the formation of the Irish Free State. And the first heading, the first section, is his role in Sinn Féin revolution in the universities, first of all in UCC and then in the National University of Ireland. The role of Professor Owen McNeill in the Sinn Féin revolution is well documented and well known, less so that of other academics, including Alfred O'Reilly, 1884 to 1996, Yet he was one of the most influential figures during that whole revolutionary period and beyond. After his appointment to the Chair of Mathematical Physics in University College in Cork in 1917, O'Reilly frequently clashed with the President, Sir Bertram Windle. Windle, a committed English imperialist, enthusiastically promoted recruitment of the British Army and urged conscription. O'Reilly and a growing number of his supporters opposed Windle on these issues. They also thwarted the President's plan to hand over some of the college buildings for use as a British Army hospital, and they boycotted fundraising functions promoted by the College War Guild. Because of these activities and his weekly articles in New Ireland, O'Reilly, by the beginning of 1918, was generally regarded as spokesman for Sinn Féin in the college in UCC. At this time also, O'Reilly and his supporters blocked an attempt by an anti-Sinn Féin group in the college to set it up independently of the increasingly nationalist Senate in the National University of Ireland. Then his activities NUI. 
O'Reilly was also active in promoting the influence of Sinn Féin beyond UCC. Early in 1921, with Father Timothy Corcoran, S.J., Professor of Education and unofficial leader of the Sinn Féin Caucus in UCD, he organised an NUI Graduates Election Committee to ensure that Sinn Féin won all four seats on the Southern Ireland Parliament to which the candidates would be elected by graduates. The Chancellor of NUI at that time, Archbishop William Walsh, died on the 9th of April 1921, whereupon O'Rahilly successfully contrived with Father Corcoran to have Eamon de Valera succeed him. And at that time, Eva de Valera was head of Dáilearn, president of the Irish Republic, president of Sinn Féin, president of the Volunteers, and the generally accepted leader of Nationalist Ireland. So he got him in on top of NUI. The next heading is, where is O'Rahilly coming from? What kind of person was he? Who was he? Alfred O'Reilly was born in a stall, County Kerry, on the 19th of September, 1884. After attending St. Michael's College and Blackrock College near Dublin, he entered the Society of Jesus, the Jesuits, in 1901. He began the last stage of his preparation for the priesthood by joining the first-year theology course at Milltown Park in 1913. However, years of intensive study and an inability to even consider taking a holiday left him in a state of high tension, towards the end of that academic year. And his religious superiors, fearing for his health, advised him to leave the society, which he did on 10 May 1914. O'Reilly's remarkable record and career and frequent contribution to serious periodicals and studies, which he co-founded in 1912, were well known. Thus he had little difficulty in obtaining an appointment as an assistant lecturer in the Departments of Mathematics and Mathematical Physics in UCC in October 1914. He married Agnes O'Donoghue, his first cousin, in September 1916, and is settled in Cork City. Having acted as temporary professor of mathematical physics from 1915 onwards, he was appointed to the chair in 1917. The next heading is Role in Revolution Beyond Universities. O'Rahilly's contribution to the Sinn Féin Revolution outside the universities was quite remarkable. Like the large majority of his fellow countrymen and women, he was taken unawares by the Easter Rising. Within four months, however, he had indicated what was to be the verdict of Irish nationalists generally. While not condoning the bloodshed which the Rising occasioned, he refused to condemn those who took part in it. And in the person of James Connolly, he praised their altruism, courage, and integrity, and acknowledged the inspiration they provided in the struggle for independence. In 1918, he was a leading advocate in the nation's opposition to conscription. The same year saw him as a vigorous Sinn Féin propagandist, unraveling the so-called, quote, German plot, end of quote. His role in the general election of 1918 was crucial. He compiled the pamphlet, the issue, the case for Sinn Féin, and in the weeks before polling day, countered the charge that Sinn Féin was Marxist. In the event, the nationalist electorate largely transferred its allegiance from the Home Rule Party to Sinn Féin. Throughout 1919, he was Sinn Féin's leading propagandist in New Ireland, and when that publication was suppressed in Old Ireland, its reincarnation. O'Reilly was elected to represent Sinn Féin in Cork City Council on the 15th of January, 1920. 
the new council formally transfers its allegiance to Dáil Éireann as, quote, the lawful, legal and constitutional parliament of the Irish nation, end of quote, and recognised the executive of the Dáil as, quote, the lawful government of the country, end of quote. Thomas McCartan, who was OC of the IRA in Cork, of which the authorities were aware, was elected Lord Mayor. In a reprisal for the assassination of a member of the RSC that morning, McCartan was shot dead in his home on the 19th of March. At a meeting of the Council on the 30th of March, just 11 days after, O'Reilly successfully proposed that Terence McSweeney succeed McCartan as Lord Mayor. On 12 August, McSweeney was arrested while attending a meeting in the City Hall. As a protest against the frequent arrest of public representatives, he embarked on a hunger strike as did ten other men arrested and imprisoned with him. This revived an earlier discussion on the morality of hunger striking, which followed the death of Thomas Ashe in September 1917. O'Reilly was infuriated by what he regarded as the hypocrisy of the British establishment in accusing McSweeney and his comrades of committing suicide, and he published stinging replies to clerics and others who supported that contention. When in October 1920, McSweeney's body was returned from Brixton Prison in London, it was O'Reilly, it was O'Reilly who stepped forward on the quay at Cork to receive it on behalf of Cork City Council and the people of Ireland. The next heading is Leading Sinn Féin Propagandist. For some years, O'Reilly had attracted the attention of the British authorities. His role as a tireless Sinn Féin propagandist his anti-British outbursts in the Cork City Council Chamber, and his association with many of the Sinn Féin leaders were noted. The appearance in October 1920 of his article, quote, Some Theology About Tyranny, end of quote, in the Irish Theological Quarterly, which was published by the prestigious Faculty of Theology in St. Patrick's College, Maynooth, must have convinced the authorities in London that from the point of view of British interests in Ireland, he was the most dangerous person. Although more magisterial in his presentation and giving special attention to the moral dilemma posed by tyranny, this article was simply one of many on the provenance of authority in the state and its use and abuse which O'Reilly contrib- contributed to periodicals and newspapers from 1916 onwards. It was very, very prolific. He stated that the specifically Christian contribution to political science and practice was the emphasis laid on human personality and the assertion of men's spiritual liberty and autonomy against all external organisation. The state had no claim to absorb all rights of corporate or individual activity and it was vital for progress and liberty that the custodian of moral values should be independent of the wielder of physical force. O'Reilly articulated these ideas in the Cork City Council Chamber throughout most of the 1920. He argued rather pointedly that the authentic traditional Catholic teaching on the matter acknowledged the morality of revolution for the purpose of ending domination by a foreign power which had merely acquiesced in by a nation. In so doing, he seriously undermined the frequent and unequivocal condemnations of the activities of the IRA by Bishop Daniel Cohen and the Bishop of Cork, and the Irish hierarchy's pro-establishment attitude to the worsening conflict in the country. The effect of O'Reilly's stand on this matter on the Irish people in general, and the rank and file of the IRA in particular, nearly all of whom are devout Catholics, 
was considerable. This emerges from the later writings of Tom Barry, one of the most prominent and effective IRA officers in the Cork area in that 1920-21 period, in a series of articles in the Irish press in the first half of 1948, and in his book, Guerrilla Days in Ireland, published the following year, 1949, Barry recalls somewhat erroneously and simplistically that, quote, Dr. Alfred O'Reilly, one of the most learned men in Europe, and probably the greatest lay opponent of Catholic action and sociology in Ireland, end of quote, had in 1920 been refuting Bishop Cohelan point by point on behalf of the IRA, ever since the latter's excommunication of the, quote, murderers of policemen, policemen, quote, and had, quote, completely clarified the position for anyone in doubt. That shows the effect of O'Reilly's continual writing on rank and file of the IRA and on the Irish people at that time. O'Reilly received a number of death threats, death threats and following the assassination of Thomas McCartan, he took shelter with his friend, Father Daniel Cohelan, who was the Dean of Residence at UCC and, ironically, nephew of the Bishop. This, however, did not deter O'Reilly from briefing at secret locations, visiting English and foreign journalists on the situation in Ireland in 1920 and early 1921. And he became known to British intelligence as the, quote, Director of Sinn Féin Propaganda, end of quote. At that time, there were very few Sinn Féin propagandists. The Irish Bulletin, for which Robert Brennan, Erskine Childers and Desmond Fitzgerald were responsible, was mainly a catalogue of incidents in the Anglo-Irish struggle. With his reflective commentary on current events, O'Reilly brought an intellectual quality to Sinn Féin propaganda. As early as January 1921, while opposing the Government of Ireland Act, also known as the Petition Act, he proposed a federal solution to accommodate the Unionists of the North East. In the same month, he wrote a 68-page pamphlet, 68-page pamphlet, entitled Who Burnt Cork City? A Tale of Arson, Lust and Murder, the evidence of over 70 witnesses, and he collected a lot of those witnesses' statements himself, which successfully rebutted the claim of the British government that the Crown forces had not been responsible for that outrage. Eventually, O'Reilly was arrested at 4 a.m. in the morning on the 26th of April 1921 in Father Colin's residence following a sweep of the university by the Crown forces. Fearing that anything untoward would happen to his friend, Father Colin insisted on being given the name of the officer in command. This probably saved O'Reilly's life. The Irish Independent of the 12th of May 21 stated, and I quote, To date, 78 persons have been killed in attempting to escape or in failing to obey a halt to halt as alleged, as alleged by Crown forces, end of quote. O'Reilly was interned on Bear Island and Bantry Bay on the southwest coast. The discomfort, he was there with a whole lot of young IRA people who were only in their late teens and early 20s. The discomfort he experienced at his confinement with 280 young men, nearly all of whom were half his age, was accentuated by his disappointment at not being part of the delegation sent to London to negotiate with representatives of the British government. Just the months before his internment, he had been invited to meet de Valera in Dublin, who informed him that he would be the secretary of such a delegation. Eventually, he was released at the end of October, and after consulting with de Valera, 
who had the excuse not appointing him because he was interned. And after being released, he met de Valera and joined the delegation in London, where he worked closely with his secretary, Erskine Childers, to whom he submitted lengthy papers on constitutional issues raised during the negotiations. In addition, he contributed research and advice on most other issues which arose. Subsequently, he was to state, and this is interesting, that just as Collins was the leading driving force behind the War of Independence, Collins filled the same role with regard to the progress of the treaty negotiations. Peter, I think that's interesting. He said, just as Collins was the leading driving force behind the War of Independence, Collins filled the same role with regard to the progress of the treaty negotiations. And the next figure is key figure in avoidance of post-revolutionary chaos. O'Reilly supported the Anglo-Irish Treaty, arguing that a return to arms by a hopelessly divided Sinn Féin IRA movement would be but a futile and disastrous gesture, which would almost certainly lead to well-nigh total anarchy. He regarded de Valera's rejection of the treaty as indefensibly irresponsible. He regarded de Valera's rejection of the treaty as indefensibly irresponsible. Despite intimidation from the anti-treaty IRA who controlled Cork City, he wrote a 23-page pamphlet, The Case for the Treaty, of which 20,000 copies were published and which proved to be hugely influential. He was enormously relieved when Doyle Aaron approved the treaty and the decision was effectively endorsed by the Irish people in the general election of 16 June 1922. Following an appeal from its members and a formal invitation of Michael Collins, its chairman, O'Reilly joined the Constitution Committee at the end of January 1922. Largely owing to his poor attendance at meetings, he produced a minority report. He had conducted an exhaustive study in 1918-20 into such topics as the origins of democracy and the sovereignty of the people. He was thoroughly acquainted with recent writing on citizenship, allegiance, dominion status, etc., acquired when acting as constitutional advisor at the Anglo-Irish negotiations, and it would be difficult to name anyone in the country at that time who was better equipped to draft a constitution. Dismissive of the British party system, he was much influenced by the then relatively new federal constitution of Switzerland, with its provision, with its provision for multi-party government. His proposals, particularly with regard to an executive, were regarded as far too radical by his colleagues. Thus, his report was not made a basis for the 1922 constitution, but by a curious irony, 15 years later, when the 22 constitution was superseded, the subsequent constitutional history of the country was influenced significantly by O'Reilly's draft constitution. Throughout 1922, a very tricky year just after the outbreak of the Civil War, O'Reilly was actively involved in attempts to avert civil war in Munster. He was on speaking terms with most of the IRA people in, in, in Munster at that time on both sides. In August 1923, he stood and was elected to represent Cumann and Gale in the Cork City constituency. On the hustings, he stated with typical bluntness that he hoped to enter Dalairn to force de Valera to accept majority rule. I repeat, on the hustings, he stated with typical bluntness that he hoped to enter Dalairn to force de Valera to accept majority rule. However, he found party discipline over prescriptive and party business in meetings too burdensome 
since he had his duties at UCC where he was both registrar as well as a professor, and he resigned after a year from the Doyle on 1 August 1924. And the next heading is State Formation Steers Irish Labour Movement in a Social Democratic rather than a Marxist Direction. Apart from his role as a key figure in the Sinn Féin Revolution, O'Reilly had a significant influence on the development of the nascent Irish Free State. He exercised considerable influence on the development of the Irish Labour Movement and contributed significantly to its taking a social democratic and not a Marxist direction. He was a tireless critic of the worst features of revolutionary socialism and communism in Russia, Mexico and Spain. At the same time, he battled consistently for the rights of working people. From 1923 to 1924, he was chairman of the Cork Arbitration Board. During his time in UCC, he was frequently consulted by the leaders of the labour and trade union movement in the city. Many of these leaders, at his urging, attended the extension lectures in the adult education courses of the university and therefore became familiar with the social teaching of the papal encyclicals. Throughout his time in Cork, he acted successfully as arbitrator in many industrial disputes. His passion for justice, strong inclination to identify the less fortunate members of society, personal prodigal generosity to the poor, admiration for the integrity of local trade union officials, and his total lack of affectation were appreciated by Cork Labour leaders who attempted on many occasions to persuade him to stand for public office in the Labour interest. His high standing, high standing with the Labour movement was recognised by the authorities, both the Fine Gael and the Fianna Fáil authorities, and he was appointed Chief Representative of the Irish Government at the International Labour Conferences in Geneva in 1924, 1925, 1932. In 1924, he was elected chairman of the International Labour Organisations Commission on the abolition of night work and bakeries. From that day, from that year on, he also became a lifelong friend of one of the most influential members of the staff of the ILO, Edward J. Phelan, a native of Tamore, County Waterford. And this is interesting, this is very important, who enabled him to have the Anglo-Irish Treaty formally registered with the League of Nations on the 11th of July, 1924, notwithstanding the determined opposition of the British government. So he, he registered the treaty with the League of Nations on the 11th of July, 1924, against the opposition of the British government. That was very important to get it recognised at the League of Nations. The next heading, members of the various committees. As well as a service of the Constitution Committee of 1922, O'Reilly was a member of the Banking Commission of 1934-38, the Senate Commission of 1936, and the Commission on Vocational Organization 39-43. His membership of the Banking Commission launched him on his crusade for monetary reform, a total reorientation of the country's social and economic policies, his advocacy of financial nationalism rather than financial unionism, and his often repeated plea, his often repeated plea to place unemployment and emigration at the centre of the national debate on economics, and his often repeated plea to place unemployment and emigration at the centre of the national debate on economics. His minority report as a result of his membership of the Senate Commission became the blueprint for Shannon Ayrn. President Shannon Ayrn. Finally, although the report of the Commission on Vocational Organisation remained largely a theoretical document, 
it heightened an awareness among leaders of public opinion of the importance of initiative and individual freedom, of which he was a tireless advocate. Apart from his involvement in the general election of 1923, O'Reilly remained independent of political party affiliations. As a result, in due course, his persistent lecturing and writing on behalf of, quote, Pat Murphy, end of quote, his term for the common man, assisted Vienna Fall to power in 1932 and prepared for the first inter-party government in 1928 and then in the final years. In his final, in his lifetime, O'Reilly was probably best known as a controversialist and as a Catholic apologist. He had few, if any, equals as a polemicist. Following his service in UCC as a professor of maths physics, 1917-43, to 43, registrar 1920-43, and president of UCC, 1943-54, he retired and he went to reside, reside with the priests at Blackheart College in 1954. His wife had died the previous year, 53. His son, Raynan, was now a professor in Wayne University in America, and he had provided for his unmarried daughter, Sybil. He was ordained for the Archdiocese of Nairobi in December 1955. However, he remained at Black Rock College until he died on the 2nd of August 1969. It is extraordinary that so little attention has been paid to O'Reilly's influence across two generations. The record shows that he was one of the key figures in the Sinn Féin Revolution and had both a pivotal and seminal influence on the creation of the state which arose out of it. I repeat... It is extraordinary that so little attention has been paid to O'Reilly's influence across two generations, across 50 years. The record shows that he was one of the key figures in the Sinn Féin Revolution and had both a pivotal and seminal influence on the creation of the state which arose out of it. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this History Hub podcast. You can find many more podcasts at historyhub.ie forward slash podcasts.